Have you ever done something you shouldn't do, but you did it anyway? You know, this is not a true confession moment, but it kind of is. A number of years ago, I say number because honestly, I can't remember how long it's been since I made this bonehead decision. Um, a number of years ago, Lady and I were in Savannah, and we were traveling down White Bluff Road going towards the mall. And so we're going parallel to Hunter Army Airfield, going for North Fort Mall, going down White Bluff. And you get to the intersection of White Bluff and Avalon. And as I'm approaching the intersection, the light does what it typically does, it changes to yellow. Now, there are those in this world who think yellow means go faster. <coughs> there are those who know yellow means to start slowing the process and you're going to stop. Well, here was the issue. I was right on top of the intersection. The light turned yellow, and I had a choice. Choice number one was to come to a sudden stop and potentially get rear-ended by the guy behind me who was falling a little close. Number two option, run that light on the yellow light and try to qualify for the Indy 500. I qualify for the Indy 500. But, but if you know that intersection, if you cross Abercorn on the right-hand side across Mobile Mall, there is a Burger King. And if I passed that Burger King, there was a police car. So my prize for going through and qualifying for the Savannah 500 was blue lights. And I knew I was wrong. I knew I was wrong. So I pull over the next appropriate spot where it's safe. I pull over, and the officer walks up to me, and she says to me, normally I would ask you why you ran the light. And I was ready to share why I did it. But here were the words she said next. Because this is the most dangerous intersection in Savannah, I have to be with you. Because it's a dangerous intersection. You can look on the map, you're crossing double lanes of roads of traffic, selling the traffic, trying to get across Avatar to get us on a white road. So it's a dangerous intersection. But the reason I bring this illustration up is there are times and there are intersections that we should avoid. But then there are intersections that we have to cross through. There are intersections that we're going to come to. We have to make a choice when we get to that intersection. This morning, over the next two weeks, we're working through the series on questions. The most important questions about eternity. This morning, I want us to travel down this Sunday and next Sunday down Salvation Road. As we travel down Salvation Road, we're going to come to an intersection. This morning, we are at this intersection, and it is the intersection of repentance and faith. Because this is the intersection we're going to come to. It's repentance and it is faith. And we have to make a choice when we come to this intersection. What we're going to learn this morning as we talk about this idea is that one element of salvation, one element that we're going to have to understand this morning is the act of repentance. That is an element of salvation. Before you and I can be saved from our sins, we have to repent of those sins. If you study Scripture long enough, you learn that repentance is the theme of Scripture. Starting in Genesis, working through Revelation, is repentance. It's the act that is taking place. It is that theme that runs through the Bible. Most importantly, though, 
It is an understanding of the Christian experience. Before you can say yes to Jesus, you have to understand what it means to repent and what it means to say that you have messed up, that you have fallen short, that you have sinned. But this is not a concept that is new. This is not something that we are just dreaming up this morning. We find it in Scripture. Take your copy of God's Word this morning. Turn to Mark chapter 1. I want to look at two verses in Mark chapter 1 that set up what we're going to talk about this morning. In Mark chapter 1, we read in Mark chapter 1 about the ministry of Jesus beginning. Mark jumps right into the ministry of Jesus Christ. We look at baptism that John was performing. We see Jesus being baptized. We see Jesus a few verses being tempted by Satan. But then we get to verse 14. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, we read some specific words. 14 is our jumping in point, but verse 15 is what I want you to pay attention to this morning as we begin this journey down Salvation Road. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 says these words. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, this time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In this one verse, in verse 15, we see two elements of salvation. We see the word repent. With his repentance, and we see the word believe, or if you want to write underneath in your Bible, the word faith. These acts are bound together. They are not separated. They can't be separated. You can't have repentance without faith. And here's the other part. It's hard to tell where repentance ends and faith begins because they both go together. Over the course of this series, over the last number of weeks, we've learned what it means to be lost. We learned a number of weeks ago that we are walking among those who are dead in Christ spiritually. They are literally the walking dead because they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they walk around aimlessly trying to take care of themselves. We've also learned what it means to have our sins washed away. But this morning, as we begin this journey today and next Sunday, looking at this intersection of what are the conditions of salvation. It's repentance and faith. So this morning, we're looking at repentance. And a couple of things I want to draw your attention to this morning is this repentance and salvation involves a knowledge of sin. Repentance in salvation involves a knowledge of sin. The basic Greek word for repentance means to turn away, walk away from, go a different direction. So repentance means that we must change our minds about sin and turn away from it. So it begins with a knowledge of sin. So what does this knowledge look like? The first thing is this. It's an admission to our admission of sin. You have to admit you're a sinner. Listen, the three hardest words in the English language are this. I have sinned. Those are the three hardest words in the English language. Why? Because we have a high opinion of ourselves. 
We don't want to acknowledge the fault in our life. We don't want to acknowledge the mistakes in our life. But this is where repentance starts. It's acknowledging the sin. It's admitting to ourselves as a holy God that we have sinned. And not only have we sinned, but we are unworthy to be in His presence. We are unworthy to walk in His steps. I read about a man who was beginning this journey of faith. In his first step of grace, one morning he was standing in front of the mirror as he's shaking. He looks at himself in the mirror, mirror and says, you dirty rat. He's acknowledging the sin in his life. And that day was the day that this man began and became a changed man. He's acknowledging the sin. Listen, I said it already. This is not an easy admission to make. We don't want to say we messed up. We don't want to say we're wrong because we do have a high opinion of ourselves. We think we don't make mistakes. We think our life is in order. But the start of repentance is acknowledging that, yes, we have messed up. I love this quote by E. Y. Mellons. He says these words. When we repent, when you and I repent, we think God's thoughts about sin. And we renounce them as Jesus Christ would renounce them. So in this knowledge of sin, yes, we admit we have the admission of sin. We understand that it's sin against God. Anything we do goes against God. It goes against His holy work. It goes against His personality. It's a sin, yes, that we've committed. It's a sin that we own up to. But ultimately, it's a sin against a holy God. And that's what we have to realize this morning. That when you and I sin, yes, we may sin against those around us, those we care about, those we love. But ultimately, it's sin against God. Take a copy of God's Word. Turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a very familiar passage to some. To give some context, Psalm 51 is the psalm written by David after his affair with Bathsheba. David knew where he was supposed to be and chose not to be there. And instead, see this woman does things with what he shouldn't be doing, has her husband killed in battle, marries her, and thinks he gets away with it. Later, he finds out he doesn't, and he's confronted by this. But in Psalm 51, we see this prayer of repentance. But I want to draw your attention to verse 4. In verse 4, we read David's words. Again, we're talking about this having knowledge of sin. Admitting that we have sinned. In Psalm 51, verse 4, David's words are this. He says, against you, and the human scripture is God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Ultimately, David is saying, I have sinned against you and only you. I have done this Evil. We see David's words and he cries out to a holy God and he is acknowledging his sin. And for you and for me, yes, God has placed in you and me moral choices. We choose right, we choose wrong. I made a moral choice when I ran that life at White Love and Avenue. I made a moral choice. Did I know I was wrong? Yes. I knew I was wrong. And 
sin against him. And here is this reminder. Ultimately, only God can forgive us. When everything is said and done, only God can forgive us. Ultimately, for the sin that we commit. So yes, there has to be acknowledgement of sin, which leads to repentance. But here's the second thought. Repentance in salvation involves sorrow for sin. Yes, we realize we sin against the Holy God, but we have to have sorrow for that sin. And this is the very reason that repentance is necessary before there can be forgiveness. Because if forgiveness was just indiscriminately passed around without any regard for that person's sense of sin, we would tolerate it. Listen, forgiveness is never to be tolerated because of sin. If we are tolerating a sin, then we see it as indifferent. And we're not going to ask for repentance. We're not going to ask for forgiveness. So forgiveness ultimately is the restoration of right relationship between God and people. That is ultimately what it is. So there has to be a distinction. Listen very carefully. There has to be a distinction between sorrow, between sorrow and remorse of conscience. In other words, I think I'm doing a bad thing, but am I really sorry? Let me give you an example. We can go to Georgia State Prison and we can find people in that prison who are sorry for what they've done. But they're even sorrier because they got caught. They're not sorry for what they've done. They're sorry because they got caught. But they're not so sorry that they wouldn't do it again for some of them. Because the fear of punishment outweighs the involvement in repentance. Listen, it is easy to get emotional when it comes to sin. Listen, I can get emotional about sin and not repent. I can say, woe is me, I've done a bad thing, but never repent of the sin. So repentance carries an element of sorrow. You're sorry for what you've done. It leads to regret. You regret what you've done and what that sin has caused, not only you, but others in your life, and how that sin has allowed you to turn from God and allow Him to forgive you of that sin. So when you and I truly repent, when you and I truly come to God, there is a demand. When John the Baptist was preaching beside the Jordan River, he made this statement. He asked for fruits that were worthy of repentance. In other words, have you made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and done it in such a way that you truly ask for repentance because you are sorry for the sin that you've committed and you realize that you need to change from the inside out that only have by God the Father to grab a hold of you and come to dwell within you. It's a knowledge of sin. Take your Bibles for the 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Because I want you to see what happens when we have this knowledge of sorrow. We admit the sorrow in our lives because of the sin. And we have this sorrow that's eating away at us. And we can't let him back if we turn back to God. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look at me in verses 9 through 11. And look at Paul's words here. 
Then notice how he words this, starting in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be re regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrow in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you prove yourself to be clear in this matter. What Paul is saying here is that when we have repented of our sins, we must show it in the way we live. There should be something different about the way you live, the way you talk, the way you act. If you have truly received repentance for your sins. Because the repentance is a complete committed of life, commitment to life in Christ. You and I become completely committed to Jesus Christ when you and I repent because we've acknowledged the sin in our life. But again, we don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to wrestle with it. We don't want to give up that little sin. So we don't want to acknowledge it. One of the greatest stories in Christian literature is about a man named Augustine who was a man at the time when he was young, he was well-dressed, he hung around with the right crowd, he was popular, he had everything going for him, but he also lived in a generation where you had all these things plus something a little extra. In Augustine's day and time when he was younger, it was not uncommon for men to have a mistress. So Augustine had a mistress. The first mistress he kept for 16 years. He got tired of her and got another one. Then he got tired of her and got another one. And that was his wife. But he used to go to church on Sunday. So picture this. He goes to church on Sunday. Plus he has some issues. But as he goes to church on Sundays, he would listen to the words of Bishop Ambrose. And he would listen to Bishop Ambrose preach these messages about Jesus Christ. And Bishop Ambrose would preach in such a way that as he preached, those listening would say, I want what he's got. I want the God he has. I want the relationship he has with the Father through the Son. But here was the problem with Augustine. He wanted what God had to offer, but he didn't want to give up his princes little thing he had on the side. And he wouldn't give up his mistress. And he prayed these words. He, listen to what he prayed. He prayed these words when he was conflicted in himself. He said, Lord, I want thee. I will give myself to thee. In his mind, he's saying he's given himself, but he's not giving up everything. And God would not honor that prayer. God would not listen to those words. And Augustine fought this battle because he would not acknowledge the sin in his life. To finally, he got to the point where he fell to his knees and gave everything he had of himself to God, including the mistress. And got away from that lifestyle. And 
devoted himself to the Father in a minute he prayed that prayer and gave up the sin and acknowledged the sin. It was at that moment he received forgiveness. So you and I receive forgiveness when we acknowledge that we deal and wrestle and fight with sin. But here's the third part. When it comes to repentance in salvation, it involves turning from sin. You've got to turn from it. Because we've already talked about this element, this third element, it involves renunciation. It means going away from it. But it involves a bigger word we're going to get to in just a second. Because here's the issue. You have to realize, number one, you're a sinner. You have to become sorry for that sin. You have to acknowledge that sin and turn away from it. But restoration is never complete in just knowing you're a sinner. And it's not complete in feeling sorrow because of the sin. It only becomes a complete act of will when we repudiate that the big word which means reject our sin and turn away from it. So what is involved in repentance? It's a knowledge of sin. It's a sorrow for sin. And it's a turning away from sin. And these requirements are what are needed for true repentance. Because true repentance following this formula means that you have turned away from sin. Not just intellectually, but you have given your life, given your heart, and given everything you have to a holy Father, because when you and I, when we repent of our sin, when we repent of our sin, our whole life is reoriented with Jesus Christ at the center. Because we deal with sin, Jesus Christ is not the center of our life. But when we turn from sin and give it all to Him, He reorients our life. And He puts it back in balance. But I remind you this morning, that repentance is not a one and done. Because you don't repent one time. For you and me, the Christian life is a life of repentance. Every day we have to repent for what we've done. Yes, there's an initial act of repentance when you and I ask Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior. But repentance is a daily thing. It's the act of grace whereby you and I realize our sin. We experience sorrow for that sin. And we turn to God in faith. What it means is a change of mind toward sin as well as a change of action. Yes, our mind changes when it comes to sin. But our actions have to change as well. So in order for this to take place, it involves our emotions, our intellect, and the will. We have to give everything to him. We can't just give some. We can't just give part. But this idea of moving forward, this idea of turning from sin, that means that we're following his guidance, we're following his lead with everything we are. Because when God speaks, we listen. When God says something, we follow through. I read a story. It took place during the Civil War. It involves Captain James Power Smith, who served under Stonewall Jackson. Captain Smith was also a pastor, and he's serving in the Army during the Civil War. At the time, Captain Smith was visiting up at Robert E. Lee's headquarters. 
and why he's busy with Gerald Lee. Gerald Lee tells Captain Smith, listen, when you get back to your post, I want you to tell Gerald Jackson that at his convenience, when he heads this way, come by and see. Now I'm paraphrasing what he said, but that's the gist of what he asked him because the actual words were, tell Gerald Jackson that at the first time he rides this direction, I will be glad to see him on a matter of no importance. He was just saying, listen, when you get back to camp, don't stonewall when he's heading this direction next time. He's swing by nothing important until say hi. So Captain Smith goes back and he gives Stonewall this information. And Stonewall Jackson tells Captain Smith, listen, at 6 o'clock in the morning, we're getting up and going. Sure. So Captain Smith goes to bed. The next morning, he wakes up to a snowstorm. And he assumes that Stonewall Jackson is not going to get on a horse in the middle of the snow to go see General Lee. Well, guess what? About an hour into his extra sleep, he gets aroused by a soldier saying, listen, Stonewall's had breakfast. He's on his horse. He's waiting for you. So Tab Smith gets dressed, hops on the horse. They ride eight miles in driving snow to get to General Lee's headquarters. As they get there, General Lee is finishing breakfast. He looks up and sees Captain Smith and Stonewall Jackson walk in, and General Lee is shocked. He's surprised they came in the snowstorm. And Stonewall says to General Lee, you asked to see me. And General Lee said, but I told Captain Smith to tell you that it's a matter of no importance, and you could wait at your convenience. I had no idea and had no intention of bringing you out in such weather as this. And this was Stonewall's response. General Lee's slightest wish is a supreme command to me. And I take pleasure in prompt obedience. For Stonewall Jackson, General Lee's words were a command. Not out of convenience, but out of an order. It's a command to be heard, but it's a command that came with little consequence. Remember, Gerald Lee told Captain Smith, listen, tell Stonewall to come at his convenience. There's nothing important. Nothing's happening. He's coming this direction. Come by and see. The command he gave was really not of any importance, but I tell you this morning that you and I have a command that's been issued by God that has eternal consequences. Scripture tells us in Acts 17, verse 30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent. The command is this, for you and I to repent of our sins. Over in Luke 13, verse 3, Jesus said, But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. God's wish for you and for me is a supreme command that we will repent and believe in Him. Repentance is the acknowledgement of sin. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And because we acknowledge that sin, there is sorrow for that sin. And when we have sorrow for that sin, we turn away from sin and turn to God. So the turning away of sin is faith. Faith is required. So repentance and faith have to go together. Again, I draw your attention back to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. 
in looking at the words of Jesus as we close our time this morning. Again, Jesus is speaking these words in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. This morning you have an opportunity to repent of your sins. This morning you have an opportunity to turn to God in faith and accept His forgiveness and His offer of salvation. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning you heard the requirements when it comes to the repentance of sin. This morning you have learned that it's acknowledgement that you are a sinner. It's acknowledgement of having sorrow for the sin. And it's an acknowledgement of turning away from that sin. This morning you can repent of the sin you're struggling with. This morning you can ask Jesus Christ to make you new and complete. This morning, the offer of salvation is available for those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For others, you know Jesus Christ. But you may be wrestling with a sin this morning. You can repent of that sin and recommit your life to Christ. This morning, other decisions need, it may need to be made. But whatever needs to happen, my prayer in just a moment is that you would listen to God's voice. That you would understand that every one of us has to come to this intersection when we travel Salvation Road. We come to the intersection of repentance and faith. You can't have one without the other. So as you come to this intersection, what are you going to do? Are you going to receive the free gift of salvation that comes when you repent of sin. And are you going to believe what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross? At this intersection, on this road, the choice is yours and yours alone. You know the conditions that have to be met for repentance. So what are you going to do with that information this morning? Father, the inner time of invitation, a time of response, my prayer is simply that you would move. Father, in a way that is clearly you and you alone, that, Father, you would touch hearts this morning. Father, for those of us who already know the Lord and Savior, we understand that repentance is involved. We understand it's part of the journey. That every day we struggle with sin, every day we need to repent where we have fallen short of your grace, your glory. But, Father, there may be some here this morning who have never made that initial step to ask for the Lord and Savior. And, Father, they've never truly repented from sin. Father, there are some here this morning that may be struggling the need to ask for forgiveness. Father, whatever needs to be done this morning, whether it's repenting of sin, whether it's rededicating of life, Father, whether it's joining this fellowship, whatever the case may be, this morning, during this moment, May we continue to block out the distractions, block out the noise, and Father, may your will be done. And Father, that you would move in a way that we know it is you and you alone. Pray this back right now. We give you all the glory of our praise. Praise your son's name. Amen. Let's all stand.